This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. It's all to play for this week as the races to Milan, London and year-end number one position heat up. I'm Lee Goodall in Shanghai, building up to the penultimate Masters 1000 event of the year. And over the course of the next 30 minutes, we'll hear from some of the key protagonists, including the defending champion Novak Djokovic and the returning Andy Murray. But we start with tournament director Michael Luevano, who I spoke to earlier on. Right now, we are enjoying fantastic weather, fantastic crowds. The tournament is uh, running very, very smoothly. We had a, an amazing day yesterday. So all systems are go for a, a very amazing uh, week long of Masters Tennis here in Shanghai. I've noticed from social media, you've been a busy man the last few days. You've been doing the usual airport runs. How have those been going? You, 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 you make a point of personally welcoming some of the, some of the bigger names, don't you? Yes, it's something that um, I started several years ago um, and really in an effort to really make the players feel welcome. Um, I'm not sure how many tournament directors actually go out to the airport, but I spent about three days uh, out there greeting as many players as I can. The two airports, so I run back and forth. And I think it does have an impact, uh, even from the qualifiers uh, all the way up to the, the larger marquee names um, get to see my face um, and uh, it's a a nice touch that I think has really helped the tournament um, improve from a player standpoint and and that's kind of our DNA uh, and our mission statement as an event. Um, I remember this time last year you were telling me about the uh, the fascinating history, I think, of a growth of a tournament like this in this part of the world. I think, first of all, it was the Heineken Open when Michael Chang, you were telling me, was very much one of the, the poster boys, I guess, of the, of the early days of the event. Then, of course, you had Tennis Masters Cup. Then you became a Masters 1000. So growing all the year, how's 2019 looking for you? Yes, we're we're in our second decade, so we're looking to the future you know our vision is always um, to try and lead the way i should say Um, shanghai is as a city uh, and as of course the country of of china is very dynamic and um, constantly growing uh, leaps and bounds um, on many different fronts so we're kind of just have that mentality and as we go forward um, into our second decade, you know, we have a vision of um, hopefully at some point becoming um, a 10 or an 11-day event, have a larger draw. And, um, you know, always improving our hardware to keep on par with the other Masters events around the world and, and, and hopefully um, always be able to offer the best environment for the fans, of course, and, and the players and all of our stakeholders. Give us an idea of what's been happening the last couple of days. This is day one of the main draw, the last day of the qualifying as well. But you've had the draw ceremony, you've had the players' party last night in, in Shanghai and, and, a, and a huge attendance, you were just telling me, on day one. There's a special event on the Saturday, is that right? Right. So about three years ago, um, in speaking with, with Roger, he really 
has so many fans here um, that he wanted to do something on the the first Saturday, and he generally does not play the week prior to us. So we came up together with an idea of having a fan appreciation day where he would come out originally and just have an open practice on the stadium court. We never had opened the stadium on the Saturday um, in past years. So that kind of turned into uh, a number of different unique, fun activities for the family, for his fans. This particular year, we, we combined it with uh, a shootout where two of the top uh, ATP pros from Shanghai um, played him and Marin Cilic um, after 90 minutes of practice, and then they had a shootout. But then they also, we complemented with a fun aspect of bringing out some professional Chinese basketball players, teaming with each one of the teams, and by keeping score, by shooting baskets, um, determine the ultimate winner. And in the end, Team Shanghai beat Rogers' team masters by one point um, after the basketball shootout. So it was all in good fun. The tennis was competitive, um, so there was a clear winner on that side, but the overall winner became Team Shanghai. And the fans loved it, and it made great, great... uh, television, great radio, great uh, social media, and the, the players had a really good, good experience there, both the Chinese and uh, Roger and Marin. Yeah, it looks a lot of fun. Um, let's talk about the field. Of course, Roger's here. You've mentioned that already. Novak will be on his way. He's, he's busy in Tokyo at the moment, so his will be a slightly later arrival. No Nadal with the wrist injury, but what must be a huge bonus, not only for tennis in general, but for yourselves uh, in terms of a former champion coming back. Andy Murray's here. How how nice is that to have him back? Just a walk down a great memory lane for us with Andy, you know, a three-time champion and, you know, one-time finalist. So he's beloved here in Shanghai. He's massively popular. And, you know, it is uh, all that he's been through and the, the... true fighting spirit of Andy Murray uh, is going to be greatly appreciated here and, and you know everyone is looking forward to his, his first round match. Let's talk about, I think you just referred to it as the hardware. I'm not sure you're doing it full justice with, with the word hardware, but um, again, we touched on this last year. The, the player facilities, the fan facilities are on next level here, the treatment that you give some of the players. Just talk us through some of the, the, the backroom elements, and I, let's start with the player restaurant, because I know that's one of the most popular on, on tour. The same level of detail gone into everything this year? Uh, very much so. We, um, the back of the house, as we kind of call it, um, we renovated uh, our player gym um, and expanded it twofold. Uh, we expanded our general locker room. Everyone has, it's much more open feel, and we received nothing but compliments from that and, the, and our player control area. So all of those areas where the, the player population generally spend the vast majority of their time, um, has been upgraded, and the response has been amazing. Our player restaurant, um, funny enough, we actually leveled the floor. I know that may sound crazy to some of your listeners, but sometimes stadiums sink, actually. (laughs) So the floor was uh, very becoming un- even uh and so we actually leveled it we had to dig the whole thing up and level the thing 
doesn't seem like much, but you know, when you're kind of tilted down every now and then last year, it was not a good thing. You know, also some of the, the additions that we've added, we've added Hawkeye on all of our match courts now, which is a big, uh, and new scoreboards, you know, very um, high performance digital scoreboards um, on the uh, outside field courts. So we're comparable um, really to Indian Wells and, and, and the spaces that they have uh, are, well, I like to think they're better, but you know, once again, we'll leave that to the players to decide. Court surface, is that similar this year? It's always a, a, a fairly hot topic. When, yes. A, amongst the tennis addicts, you know, who analyze the court speeds of the Masters yes. 1000 through the season, fairly quick again? That's, that yes. seems to be the general perception. Yes. I think we would call our surface medium, medium fast. Um, we've always been a big proponent of transitional tennis. Um, we like the, the points to be one at the net and... and if you look at our champions, you know, it is a game that uh, produces great tennis. So it is, uh, points are quick, and um, we've never experienced any negative feedback, even from the baseliners. So they love the stadium court. It's one of the most unique in, in all of tennis with its retractable roof. Um, we put in a new lighting system as well. So that is another hardware bonus. But yeah, our surface, um, for better or for worse, it's what we like and what the players have responded to um, here when they come to uh, the role of Shanghai Masters. And that's resurfaced every year, is it, presumably? Yes. At some point, every court, is that? Every court. We um, resurface uh, at least 18 courts. And what time of year does that take place? Is July. That, okay. July and August. So they're pretty much brand new when the, when the guys... Brand new. Yeah. Um, let's just talk about the fans to finish because uh, for me, it's always the first thing I notice when you come to, I think, Asia in general, but here, here in Shanghai as well. I was just walking around the practice court, so I tried to get close to Roger's practice court. It's oh. impossible. There's, yeah. a li- there's a line of 100 meters of people just yeah. trying to get... Yeah, give up. It's, it's incredible. But you get to interview me, so I think that's... <laughs> but the same for every play. You know, Chilich's court is, yeah. is jam-packed. Oje Aliasim's court is jam-packed. There seems to be such an appetite for the sport when, when you arrive here. Yes, absolutely. I wish, quite frankly, I'd be in my stadium watching the tennis, but we know where they're at anyways. Um, yes, they're, uh, the Chinese fans are quite unique, and you'll hear other players from Rafa, Nole, Roger, but even, you know, the top 20 players are inundated with uh, autograph seekers and photos. So they're, they're really, and they're educated fans. So they know who is who. Um, and um, I think it's real refreshing for the guys and, and welcoming that, that, you know, here in Shanghai that they're, they're recognized and, and appreciated um, on all levels. You know, the Chinese do love their autographs, though. I, I must admit, I've never seen anything like it uh, as in other, you know, tournaments as, as much as here. And uh, if, if anyone's watching on TV, I remember last year, particularly during Rogers matches, there's, there are sort of banks of Federer fans sat together. Presumably you have a relationship with, with those groups of fans. Is, is that an organized thing? Yes, it is. He has uh, all the players, uh, well, let's say the big three, have their fan clubs here. 
and they sit in the same seats every single year and they bring out 100 meter banners that they all hold in one whole section of the seats. It's like a Premier League football match that they are, they dress the same. So they are quite passionate. Uh, Rafa has his fan club, uh, Novak has his, and Rogers has his, probably the largest, but you never really know. They, uh, and they compete. They'll fight on social media. It's, it's, they're pretty passionate. We have to be careful, actually. They've broken down walls, and yeah, so we're, we're appreciative uh, always, um, and you know, they're the heart and soul of uh, kind of, you know, the crazy, passionate tennis fan. Yeah, I, I even remember last year a couple of them holding up large oil paintings yes. of Roger in the. In oh the... yeah, there's. We've seen it all. <laughs> we have seen it all. Michael, thank you. I'll let you get on. You must be you must be very busy. Um, all the best. Good luck for a great week, and, and thanks for talking to us. All right. Cheers. Rolex Shanghai Masters Tournament Director Michael Luevano. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. The number one seed in Shanghai is Novak Djokovic, fresh from victory in Tokyo. And whilst that was a first appearance at that event, which will host the Olympics next year, he is more than familiar with his surroundings this week. Well, I've been playing historically really well in Shanghai and on the Chinese soil. The first Masters title uh, came... Uh, back in 2008, which was the last year they had it in Shanghai, and uh, I was really young, and I think I was 20, 20 or 21 years old, and I was probably next to the, the Grand Slam that I won in, in Australia, the biggest title at the time, and uh, always felt very welcome in, in Shanghai. Conditions suitable to my style of the game, great courts, you know, great facilities, amazing locker rooms, uh, everyone has their own private locker room, uh, food is great, so really high quality organization of the event. And, uh, you know, Chinese people uh, are very passionate about tennis and the racket sports in general. So, of course, as tennis player, you're, you're really cheered on and welcomed in, in China. Another man enjoying a good week was Greek Stefanos Tsitsipas, who finished runner-up in Beijing and who has his eyes on the big prize come the end of the season. Well, it's important to stay focused and have that fighting spirit in every single match that I play. Uh, doesn't really matter which opponent I face. Uh, I just need to give a little bit more uh, force into it and uh, win extra matches that are going to allow me and secure the spot in the NATO finals by the end of the year. Uh, I'm really fighting for it, and I think it takes um, big will to make it. Stefano sits a pass with one foot through the O2 door, and Dominic Team, who he lost to in Beijing, qualified for the NITO ATP Finals as a result of reaching the final. There's a number of the world's leading players still vying for a place in the top eight come the end of the season, though, including a certain Spaniard. He's having the best year of his career, and for Roberto Batista Agut, success in 2019 can be attributed to a change in mindset.
we had a meeting with the coaches and we were talking a lot and we were this year more focused on the best things I do, not trying to play more aggressive than I can. Also, I'm getting more experience and I'm learning more things every year and I feel a better player. And another seat is trampled in Miami Gardens. And this time, it's the biggest one of all. I try to play every point to make the match as tough as possible, to try to make a lot of balls, to play a solid game, and that's my best thing. No? A lot of points and a lot of rallies from baseline. Yeah, that's superb. Clinical. Spanish number two has also been influenced by the tennis greats from his own country. My models are the, the Spaniards, no? I grew up uh, playing tennis with Bruguera, Moya, Ferrero, David Ferrer, now Nadal. Uh, they are the best players in the Spanish history. You learn how to work, you learn how important is tennis life and how they put everything they have on the tennis career. And every top player, every good player uh, likes to win and uh, that's the best thing of our sport, that we can compete a lot, we can get wins every week we play and that's uh, the best moment of the tennis, no? Uh, after uh, you win a match and, and you, you say, like, come on, or in my case, vamos. After 14 years on the ATP Tour, Batista Agud hit a new milestone ahead of this year's US Open in New York, finally breaking into the top 10 of the ATP rankings. Since I was young, no, I was uh, dreaming to, to be top 10, to be one of the best players in the world. I wanted just to continue the work, to be patient and to be very focused and confident in my game. If I continue, Playing like this, I could get it. And in Cincinnati, I could uh, win the match against Kekmanovic and play the quarterfinal and, and get the top 10 in Cincinnati. Another big change in 2019? A proposal to his girlfriend, Anna Bodhi Tortosa, in the off-season. It was uh, when I was at, at Precision, uh, I had time to, more time to be with her, I, I could, uh, uh, go and get the ring and well, it was uh, a nice time, it was uh, a lot of emotion. I feel good to share this moment with him. We will live a good moment the day of our wedding. We both are happy to share our lives together and to be a family in the future. ATP Tour uncovers Rob Curling with that piece on Roberto Bautista Agut, who is one of the top eight seeds in Shanghai this week. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. So that's the form coming into the Rolex Shanghai Masters, and there are some tasty first-round encounters, including Alex de Menor against John Isner, Gael Monfils taking on Lorenzo Sonigo, Andrei Rublev against last year's finalist Borna Cioric and Jan Lennart Struff facing Matteo Berrettini. And Nick McCarvel spoke to the Italian recently. 
Matteo Berrettini, thank you for joining us here on ATP Tennis Radio. It's been a huge 12 months for you uh, on the ATP Tour. What has allowed you to play your best tennis? How do you feel as though you've been able to bring out the best tennis against some of these top guys? Uh, I think because I, I did a lot of matches, a lot of uh, you know high-level matches that helped me a lot to improve myself, to to discover what I I had to do to, to improve myself and so I I practice a lot I was I was really focused on my practice sessions and uh, this was the the key to you know to to improve and to to do better we obviously know you have a huge serve you've got that big forehand too but what are the other components to your game what else do you feel like makes you so dangerous cuz now you're at a career high ranking right now yeah, of course, my serve and my forehand are my best weapons. But uh, I think I'm, I improved a lot my backhand in the last last months, and uh, also I I'm playing a good good drop shots and slice with the backhand, and uh, my my return also improved a lot. I I did a great preseason, and uh, in the beginning I didn't didn't do a, a great results, but I was you know. Uh, practicing and practicing over and over, and I was re- feeling I was feeling really confident about myself, about about my team. So I I knew that the results were, you know, were coming. Uh, Turin was announced as the ATP Finals host. <laughs> Do you, when you hear that, obviously it's great news for Italy from 2021. But is there something in the back of your mind, Matteo, that says that you'd like to be there at some point? Of course, I like to be there, but uh, right now I'm not thinking about that because I I think uh, I have to improve a lot of things. I have to to practice a lot. I have to live more moments like this, like these these tournaments. And uh, I'm pretty young on the tour, so I wanna I wanna just enjoy what I'm doing. And uh, of course, I'm thinking about the future, but right now I'm living day by day. And we know, lastly, and I know that you've had great success on red clay, but I think you've tried to make a point of uh, having su- success on other uh, surfaces. Is that something you feel like your game can grow outside of clay as well? Yeah, of course. I was born on clay, so <laughs> it's my surface. Yeah, and, uh, we, I, I was practicing when I was a child, and I was, you know, teenager always on clay. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling really confident on clay, but. Uh, yeah, my for the weapons that I have and uh, the, the I mean also the preseason that I did I, I improved a lot on the on, on the hard so a lot of also results on our course I'm really looking forward to improve more and more and I'm really happy for that. Yeah. All right, grazie mille, thank you so much. <laughs> grazie, ciao. <laughs> Another intriguing-looking first-round encounter is that between Francis Tiafo and Denis Shapovalov, who's been able to find some consistency and seems to be enjoying life on tour again. Shapovalov leading 6-4 in the final set tiebreak. Nadal serves backhand return. Forehand Nadal to the backhand of Shapovalov. Forehand from Nadal is down the middle. Backhand Shapovalov down the middle. Both players playing safe. Now the bigger forehand from Shapovalov. He has a big forehand down the line. Winner! He falls to the ground. He throws his racket away. He now looks up as if he doesn't believe what he's done. And there are many people here who don't believe what he's done. But they have seen it. They have seen him beat the great Rafael Nadal. It happened quite quickly for me with Roger Scott and US Open shooting me up so quickly. 
I mean, for the most part, once you get used to it, it's pretty fun, but it could be challenging at first. Obviously, it's a lot of travel. You're staying at different hotels, different cities every week. You're always kind of in the spotlight with the fans and training in front of people. So it just takes a little bit of time to get used to it. And I feel like a lot of players, they might get frustrated with it at the beginning. And I know I did. It was a little bit, you know, uncomfortable for me. I didn't feel at home. But once you really kind of look back into it, you have some time to kind of think it over. After you know what to expect, it's a lot easier. And honestly, I started to enjoy it a lot more than now. I could, you know, really say that I'm loving being on the tour. I'm loving playing all these new tournaments and traveling the world, seeing these cool cities. We like to, first of all, obviously visit the cities a little bit, hang out, you know, see the different cultures, experience different foods. Um, lately, what we've been doing, we've been trying to post a couple videos. A bunch of us like filming and been putting some stories up for the fans to kind of engage them as well and help them see what we do besides tennis. So that has been a lot of fun for our team and kind of just bonding with your team, finding what you guys all like to do. I think it's really important to have a couple friends with you from back home, you know, travel with you a couple weeks. It could get pretty lonely on the road, on the tour, especially when you're in Europe for a long time or this Asia swing, you know, it's, it's really long and so far from home. So having a couple friends with you definitely helps take your mind off things, but definitely having a good team around you that kind of keeps your focus in check, keeps your goals in front of you. Just do the best I can every tournament. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Keep an eye on qualifier Alexander Bublik, who is always fun to watch on court, but seems to be more focused off it these days, as Rob Curling explains. Great point down, backhand return, just over the net. Here comes Bublik up to the net again. Can he put away the forehand volley? Up goes the defensive lob from TFO. It's dropped on the baseline, through the legs from Bublik. TFO stretches, Bublik still going. He's in the backhand and he's won the point. Absolutely extraordinary for Bublik. How did he do it? Bublik has had a breakthrough this summer. The Kazakh is finding his consistency, which may be helped by a conscious decision to step back from social media. Not interested in that, <laughs> trying to play tennis. If I work on so many things, I have no time to play tennis. I am not in social media for a while. Before, when I got first breakthrough, I was on Instagram, I was everywhere, you know, posting, chatting, leaving comments, everything that. It takes, you know, it takes your inner peace. That's what my opinion. When you're taking things quietly and you do quiet things, okay, I can be loud here, you know, with the fans, 20 minutes a day, it's fine. But when you do it and you know, when you wake up, you check Instagram, when you wake up, you go after the match, you check Instagram, you reply your friends, you know, you give so much out and then of course you don't have enough for you and for your family. That's, that's what I think. I'm a family person, I like my friends, I love my you know, family. So I just trying to stick more into that one because here this is two different lives. So, and I don't want to bring to my personal life this Instagram, the fame we have here, the tournaments and everything. So I just want to be away from it. That's, that's how it is. It's been a wonderful year. It's still a lot of tournaments for me to go and I'm very happy to bring out the level on a consistent basis. I have a long-term goal, you know, to be a successful player and success means for everyone is different. Maybe I'll be happy to be top 20, maybe I'll be happy to be top 50. Maybe I won't be happy if I'll be number one, you never know. So I'm just trying to grow a little, be a better man, better person and better tennis player. So I'm just enjoying day to day.
There's no Nadal in Shanghai, but fans will be excited to see Andy Murray, who's come a long way since the dark days of the Australian Open. Tough period for me. Um, in January, I was sort of, I got to a point where, you know, I, I was getting no, well, little to no enjoyment out of playing or training um, anymore. And yeah, it was basically, yeah, kind of at the, the end of the road. And I, I needed to um, sort of, I think get round to the idea that, you know, if I, I went ahead and had the the operation that I had, that there was you know a good chance that I, I wouldn't be playing at the top level again. And um, you know, once I'd kind of made, you know, that that decision and sort of got it in my head that it was possible I, I might not be playing again, um, it allowed me to sort of go ahead with the the surgery. And you know, thankfully, you know, it's been a big success. I'm. You know, completely pain-free in my hip now. Uh, so, training, playing, just walking around is uh, is is fun and enjoyable again. And um, it's great to be in that position because it was was a tough few years. When did you start to to feel like you could play at the highest level again? Probably not only until a few weeks ago. Really, um, I would say that. Obviously, when I was playing doubles and stuff, I felt good for for doubles, and I was, you know, I was moving better with with each match. When I played the doubles tournaments over in the states, even though the results weren't as good as maybe they were during the grass, I felt a lot better on the court. I felt that my game was improving. I was moving a little bit better, and and then I went back to playing singles. And the first couple of singles matches, you know, I didn't feel great on the court. Didn't feel like I moved particularly well. But then the, the last couple of weeks, I, f I, I really feel like I've made quite big strides there, big improvements, and I worked a lot with my team um, in the build-up to this event, kind of on those aspects, on trying to get myself quicker. At the beginning of this year, it was all about trying to build up the strength again in my leg to, you know, allow me to support the the, the joint now, my, the, the the new joint, and um, now. It's about trying to get myself quick and, and fast again, and I've, I've I've done well. And this must be a very special tournament to return to. Yeah, I mean, I, I always like coming and playing in in Asia. I played some of my best tennis in in China last, um, you know, a few years before I had the the hip problems. I always liked the the conditions. Um, the courts here play fast um, in comparison to most of the the courts we play on on the tour. It's quite Quick courts with slow balls, which is my my favourite. So um, yeah, always always like playing here and had some some good results. So hopefully I can have have a good run this week. You're a competitor and you obviously always want more. How far do you think you can still go with your tennis? It's quite hard to say just now because, like I said, even until a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, um, you know, I didn't know how competitive I would be like right at the top level. And then obviously since I got here. You know, I feel like in the matches that I played, I've been competitive against all of the the players I played against. I played a top ten player, a top twenty player, a top thirty player, and you know, obviously not won all of the matches, but felt like I've I've done pretty well. So, you know, hopefully, if the next month, two months, you know, I can keep keep progressing a little bit, we'll see. And I don't think I've got to the end of that kind of road yet. I do think there's still some things that I can improve on and and get better. So. We'll see see what happens next year. Compared to your best years, is there anything that changed in the way you go into matches? 
Yeah, I, mean, I think the mentality just now is a bit different, like uh, because I'm not expecting or expected to, you know, to win matches against top players just now, which obviously a few years ago that was, you know, different. Last time I came here to play in 2016, it was like I was trying to finish the year at number one with with Novak. So all of the matches there was a lot of pressure on them, and you know I felt that. Whereas coming in just now there feels like there's very little expectation um, going into the tournament so yeah a little bit less pressure than before um, which is nice and just final question it's um, especially crucial time of the year for those players that are trying to qualify for London for the ATP finals um, do you remember how intense it got this time of the year when you were in that position yeah I mean I had one year that was really ended up being really intense. I played like six weeks in a row at the end of the year, which I then I qualified for the tour finals, but then by the time I got there, I didn't really have anything uh, anything left. But it, it always seems to happen at the right at the end of the year, the last few tournaments, there's normally seven or eight guys that are still in with a chance of, you know, finishing in, in the top eight. And you see how much the players want to do well. Like you see it in the locker room, everyone's talking about it who's going to get the last couple of spots and it's it's tough because for most of the year I think up until this point you you are trying to just focus on yourself and your own results and you're not you know taking too much thought about the you know the other players and the points and things whereas you know once you get kind of to to Shanghai in the last few tournaments and the European indoors everyone's sort of watching out for each other's results and probably hoping the, the players don't do as well um, as them. And um, yeah, it's slightly different. Tennis TV's Ursin Kadiras with that interview. So that's it for this week's show. Be sure to join us throughout the week on ATP Tennis Radio for live ball-by-ball commentary from the Rolex Shanghai Masters. And we'll bring you another podcast next weekend, rounding up the week and looking ahead to the indoor season. Until then, enjoy the tennis. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.